Father God, in the name of Jesus, thank you for who you are, God. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do. God, for who you are, your very power, your very being, your essence, God. Lord, that you would just uh, begin to speak to our lives today through the demonstration of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Pastor Ralph. If you have your Bible, if you will turn with me to the uh, New Testament, to the book of John. We're kicking off our sermon series today, uh, The Rebellion. Join the movement. Um, wow, this, uh, I've been anticipating this for quite some time, what the Lord's going to do in our hearts and our lives and what he's up to. And in the book of John, in the chapter 21, chapter 20, if you have your Bible, if you'll turn there, uh, we do a little things different here around at Family of Grace, if you're just figuring that out. Most people have spent the last four to six weeks working up to Easter. We're going to work from it. Amen. Most people have worked down Calvary's trail to the Via Della Rosa, down to the tomb, the empty tomb this morning. We're going to start there and work backwards. Amen. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but I come to set a sword. I come to divide, but I came to conquer. I came to conquer the thing that has been conquering man for all of this time. In the 60s, things began to change in America, as many of you know. It's a little, I only know that from history. After 73, things get a little fuzzy for me. But uh, the 60s brought about a movement in America that America had not really known before. There was a rebellious movement that started taking place. It led to many things called Woodstock. And if you lived through those days, you could give a far better dissertation on it today than, than I could. Matter of fact, you may have been there. You may have done that. You may have even got the T-shirt. But in those days, people were rebelling against something. They were rebelling against the war. They were rebelling against Vietnam. They were rebelling against the, uh, the, the Cleaver-Ward mentality, that society. They were throwing that lifestyle off. They were rebelling against something. But today, we're not really wanting to rebel against something, but we're rebelling for something. We're rebelling to something. Matter of fact, America was founded with those kind of rebels. Matter of fact, they rebelled against a government saying, you're not going to tell me how to worship God. How to worship the resurrected Lord and Savior. And they began to rebel against putting them in a box. Putting a resurrected Lord and Savior inside a box. I'm going to tell you today, the only time that he's ever been in a box was when he was in a manger. And then when he was in a tomb. And need I tell you today, if both of those places are empty, our God doesn't fit in a box. Amen? And so and they begin to tell them, you have to worship God in this box. Matter of fact, a lot of religious circles still do that today. You can worship God if you worship Him 
our way. If you look like we look. If you dress like we dress. If you listen to the kind of music we listen to. You go to the kind of restaurants that we go to. If you do everything the way we do it. Then we will give you a little card that allows you to join our club. Listen, Jesus Christ did not die on the cross. He was not buried in a grave and did not rise again. For us to join a souped up version of the Kiwanis Club. He died for the church of a living God. That we might have victory. That we might have life. And that we might have it more abundantly. Can I get a witness in the house of the Lord this morning? And so Jesus stepped on the scenes messing things up. Amen. He came as a rebel. As a rebel. Matter of fact, through this sermon series, as we've been preparing for it as a staff, we've kind of gone through it, and each one of us has taken a different gospel. And I want, if you want to have your world rock, just start reading through the gospels, especially Mark, and look at every place that Jesus rebelled against the status quo. He wasn't rebelling. He was rebelling for something. He wasn't rebelling against something, but it was for something. It was greater than man, anything man had already had. Let's read these verses, and we're going to come back and make a couple of points on them. In the book of John, chapter 20 and verse 24, the resurrection had already happened. Mary had already gone to the tomb, found it was empty. Matter of fact, uh, about a week had already passed, and this story takes place in verse 24 of chapter 20. But one of the twelve, Thomas, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Now, he had already appeared to them at one other time because it had been about a week. And here's what he said. So the other disciples kept telling him, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. They kept telling. As a matter of fact, have you ever felt like that? Is there anybody that you've kept telling Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus died for you, Jesus died for you, Jesus wants to transform your life, and you kept telling them, and what? They don't believe. Matter of fact, here's what Thomas said. Guys, I know you keep telling me that you've seen the Lord, but he said to them, you don't get it unless I, Thomas, see the mark of the nails, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, in his hands, and I put my finger into the mark of the nails. And matter of fact, he took it a little bit further. You would think, okay, if you saw the nail and you put your finger in the nail-pierced hand of Jesus, would you not believe? But he said, no, I need further verification. I need to be able to thrust my fist, my hand, into the side where they shoved the spear into Jesus' body. Or he said, I will never believe. Do you see that in your Bible? I will never believe. Go a little bit further into verse 26. Now, after eight days, the disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, could you underline that in your Bible? This is part of our first point this morning. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Then he said, peace be unto you. Look at the next verse. It gets a little better. Then he said to Thomas, he said to Thomas, he singled him out. He said, hey, dude, put your, that's my translation, put your finger right here. Go ahead, son. Put your finger in the nail-pierced hand. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Put one finger of your right hand into my hand and then take your other fierce, uh, fist and you could put it in my side. 
And so he says, Thomas, son, don't be an unbeliever, but be a believer. Be a believer. Look at this next verse. And Thomas responded him to him, my Lord and my God, now I believe. And Jesus said, Thomas, you believe because you have seen me. You have believed those you have believed those who believed without seeing, they're the blessed ones. And there's one more verse here. And Jesus performed many other signs in the disciples, in the presence of the disciples that are not written in this book. Look at this right here as it continues to go a little bit further. But these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And by believing, you may have life in Whose name? His name. Amen. Praise the Lord. What a word. Jesus came and the first thing that he did was he rebelled against nature. The Bible says he started way back before he ever got here in Isaiah 7, 14. It says, and the virgin shall conceive and give birth. In Matthew chapter 1, it says again, the virgin will conceive. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 2, the angel of the Lord came to her and said, Mary, you shall have a baby. His name will be Jesus. And Mary's response to that was, how can this be? I have not known a man. I have not been with a man physically. And the angel of the Lord said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you shall conceive. And then she became pregnant. Joseph's world was turned upside down because there his little pretty bride-to-be was the love of his life that he was going to marry shows up pregnant, amen? If he lived today, he'd have probably found his way on the Maury Povich show. And so they're going through this whole process and the angel of the Lord comes and Joseph's like, I must put her away privately. He says, no man, don't do that. God's at work here. He rebelled against nature with his birth. And then he rebelled against nature with his life. Matter of fact, with his life, when the winds began to blow and overtake his friends and their little vessel that they were in, their little bitty boat was out there taking on water and about to go down. It says they went down and woke Jesus up and he came and he stood on the bow of the boat and he said, peace, be still. And nature ceased. He rebelled against it and it stopped. Matter of fact, it goes a little bit further. The Bible says there was another day that he went up on the mountain to pray. And up on the mountain, he sent his disciples off to go to the other side. And as they were going to the other side, he looked and a storm began to brew. And his disciples, the ones that he loved, Thomas, the one who was doubting, was sitting there in that boat with a doggy bag left over from the miracles of feeding 5,000 people. And Jesus began to walk out against nature, against nature, walking on the water. And the boys in the boat said, oh my goodness, it's a ghost. And Peter said, boys, that isn't no ghost, that's Jesus. And he said, man, if that's Jesus, look, bid me to come out to you. And Jesus, in my version, says, Come on out, son. The water's fine. And Peter gets out of that boat, and the waves are beating around that little vessel, and some of them's dipping water out. It's boats taking on water, and there Jesus is just walking on top of the storm that was causing them the turmoil, that was causing them the chaos. And there Peter, a normal, I mean, if there was ever a disciple that lived next door to you, it'd be Peter. He, sometimes he couldn't do nothing wrong, but sometimes he couldn't do nothing right. 
And he gets out there and starts walking on water. And he realizes what he's doing. And he went back in the human realm of the lack of faith and began to sink. And the coolest part of that story is Jesus picked him up, carried him back to the boat. And it says he got in the boat and nature ceased. He rebelled against nature. He rebelled against nature many times. You remember the story of the fig tree? He, a fig tree, he walked up to it and cursed it because it was barren. Matter of fact, there was time after time after time again, he rebelled against the law of nature. Rebelled against the law of nature in people's body. Whenever they were covered with leprosy and they had no way to move forward, their lives, they had been separated from their family and they was out in the middle of a barren place and they was having to ring a bell to announce the presence of an unclean person coming to where they were. He rebelled against that law of defeat, against sickness, against uh, affliction, and he began to touch the affliction of the leper and he healed him. He was cleansed automatically. Matter of fact, Jesus rebelled again. I mean, I, I could preach all day just on this one point. The whole gospel is filled with times where he rebelled against common nature. Matter of fact, but the greatest way he rebelled against nature, the greatest way he rebelled against nature was on Sunday morning. It was on Sunday morning. Whenever they had already been through all the crucifixion, when they had been through all the flogging and all the lashes and beating him with a cat of nine tails so that his body was no longer recognizable, Isaiah said that he would, didn't even resemble a man anymore. And when his body was so afflicted and in so much pain and was so disassembled that he was hanging there on that cross as a beaten piece of hanging meat laying there on the cross, he was still breathing. And on that cross, he rebelled against the, the nature of man. And here's what he said, Father, forgive those bunch of knuckleheads. They don't know what they're doing, Lord. Well, that's against nature. I mean, come on, what's your nature when somebody pulls out in front of you? I know what mine is. Much less beating me and hanging me on a cross. Wow. But the greatest way that he rebelled against nature was on Sunday morning when he rebelled against death. See, he rebelled against nature. And he rebelled against death. Look at this. Let me talk to you a little bit more about nature. One more thing in our text. Talk about rebelling against nature. I mean, how long can a man live with a hole in his side? But when he appeared eight days later after the resurrection, there was still a hole in his side. There was still a, 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 a hole in his hand. And I venture to tell you today, that when, he, when God resurrected him from that grave on Sunday morning, I'll tell you what I believe with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my being, is that on that, on that Sunday morning, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had been laid down in the heart of the earth, I want you to know, I believe, on, on Friday afternoon that God the Father could no longer look upon that cross. Matter of fact, Jesus cried out on the cross and he, he, didn't, he didn't, the only time he ever referred to the Father as God is he said, my 
God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the reason that he was forsaken was because all the sins of the world was placed upon his shoulder. But I want you to know that that Sunday morning, that Sunday morning, I believe that same God that forsook him on Friday said Sunday has come and you are no longer defeated. I believe God the Father went down into the heart of the earth. I believe he took those grave clothes, wrapped them up, folded them nice and neatly, laid them there where the sun had once been laying because the Bible says that when they went and they looked into that tomb that the grave clothes was folded up neatly, laying there. Why? Because a, a man who's living doesn't need grave clothes. Amen. And he rebelled against nature, the first man to rise from the dead. You see, Jesus' death gave us atonement but his life is what saves you had he had he not risen from the dead it would have been nothing more than an atoning lamb like he'd been slain time and time and time again the thing that drives people crazy is not Yahweh it's not God the Father it's Jesus Christ the Son of God it rose from the dead. Why? I'll tell you why. Because Satan thought he was victorious. He thought he had won. He thought that he had conquered the unconquerable. The very Son of God. You remember? He tried to get him to throw himself off the mountain. He tried him to eat rocks that were turned into bread. He tried many things. And finally, on that Friday afternoon, he thought that he had won. But I want you to know that while Pilate was hearing footsteps on his porch, the shuffling of the feet of the, of the guys who was guarding that grave so the disciples wouldn't come and steal his body. You remember the chief priest said, man, I heard his disciples talk about him not being there. Pilate, you and I both know he's not rising from the dead. But let's don't let the disciples steal his body. Put some guards there. And so, man, I tell you, on that Sunday morning, while the shuffling of the feet of those prison guards was going to Pilate's door, knocking on it, saying, boss, we've got a problem. There's no longer a body in that tomb anymore. We've got a problem. While Pilate was hearing the shuffling of the feet and the knocking of the door, I want you to know that there were some feet shuffling somewhere else. It was down into the pit of hell because Jesus Christ descended down into the heart of the earth on that Saturday. And I'll tell you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, when he rose from the dead, he rose up victoriously. And he went down and he overcame and he overthrew every force of darkness every principality and he took away the keys of Satan's playpen and he gave it to an angel the keys of death of hell and the grave that's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 and 57 oh grave where is thy victory oh death where is thy sting he rebelled against nature and he rose again rebelled against nature he was walking around with a hole in his side rebelled against nature when he just walked through the wall doors were locked securely they were scared for their lives they had killed their leader they were next they were hiding everywhere they went they were locked up behind these closed doors he rebelled against nature he rebelled against death but he rebelled against man the most important thing was he rebelled against man 
how did he rebel against me? He didn't care what Thomas said about him. He was still God. <laughs> he didn't care that Thomas didn't believe. By Thomas's doubting, it didn't decrease the sufficiency of the God in Christ Jesus. By Thomas doubting, it didn't nullify the resurrection. By Judas selling him out, it didn't nullify the resurrection. By Pilate making his declaration and saying, I find no fault in him. It didn't change anything. By him nailing, but going to the cross and dying and, and not giving in to man's concept for him. He did never conform to the religious bunch. He never conformed to religious ideology. Matter of fact, it was the religious group that crucified him. It wasn't, the, it wasn't the bad guys. It wasn't the criminals. It was the religious group. It couldn't stand Jesus. Why? Because what Jesus did was he came to fulfill everything they cherished in the Old Testament and to give them a new way forward. He rebelled against Pilate. Pilate said, son, I got power to let you go. He said, Pilate, I'm not going to speak for you. Matter of fact, Pilate said, why are you not talking to me? He wasn't even going to waste his time. Jesus rebelled against what man said. You remember Peter, the disciple next door, came to get Jesus, drew out his sword, Cut off the ear of Malchus. Jesus said, Peter, son, put that thing away. Reached over and healed Malchus's ear. The guy who came to arrest him. Jesus said, I must go to Calvary. Peter said, Lord, I forbid it. He said, boy, get behind me, Satan. He rebelled. Against nature. He rebelled against death. But he rebelled against what man thought about him. What man said about him. <clears throat> We're living in some very peculiar times in America. Today there's great concern in my life. with the growing acceptance of immorality as morality. It's a great concern because we have begun to try to legislate, not morality, but we're trying to legislate immorality. And for someone who believes in the blessed hope, the blessed assurance, and the second coming of Jesus Christ, for someone who believes in the word of God and tries to live their life that way there will be some very peculiar times ahead of us matter of fact there's just no telling where it will end in America's eyes but I know where it will end in God's eyes victoriously we just finished our sermon series I need to change and many of you made some big decisions Big decisions. But I'm going to tell you something. 
unless you rebel against man, your need to change will quickly be changed back to what it was. Jesus had to rebel against man. He had to rebel against his own self. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Daddy, please take this cup away from me. But you know what? Not what I want, but what you want. He had to rebel against himself. Today, you're going to have to rebel against your friends. You're going to have to rebel against family. You're going to have to rebel against people that you love. Now, it doesn't mean you go on a witch hunt. And everywhere you go, you get you a 1611 Bible that's about this thick, King James Version, and you start beating them over the head with it. It doesn't mean that if there's somebody that you love who's not living a life like they should live, that every time you see them, you tell them about it. You don't have to tell them over and over and over again. You share and you pray, and then you pray and you pray and you pray pray you pray and you pray and you pray and every time you pray you planted a seed and you're going all the way around every time you pray you're watering it you're watering it all the way around until it yields fruit now here's the thing I want you to know today that if you're going to have victory you're going to have to cling to the nail pierced hands of Jesus there will be one man-made thing in heaven. The marks in the body of Jesus. Today, I think one of the reasons that a lot of people do not invite Christ into their heart in the day and time that we live in is just simply because they don't know what it's like to live on the backside of the cross. I mean, they want to accept Christ. They acknowledge everything that he did for them, everything that's transpired. They acknowledge all of those things. But they don't know how to live on the backside of the cross. In other words, you meet Christ, you accept the cross, and now your life, you're not living on the front side. You're living on the backside. You're not living as someone who needs to be redeemed. You're living as someone who's been redeemed. You're not living as unjust. You're living as justified. And people are fearful because they're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going to happen to my friends. I don't know what they're going to say about me. Listen, God doesn't call you to divorce your friends. He calls you to be a light that shines in the darkness. Matter of fact, Jesus said, I didn't come. I come to seek and to save those which were lost. Jesus never had a lot good to say about the religious crowd. Matter of fact, you never really found him hanging out with them. The one time he did hang out with them, he gravitated towards a, the sinner who was in the center of the room. And it was all about her at that point. Listen, here's what God wants you to do. God wants to transform your life today. God wants to give you a fresh start. But the only way you will ever accept what Christ has for you is if you are willing to rebel against what the world says about you. For a long time as a boy, small school, grew up in, knuckleheaded, 
child, teenager. It didn't take long for people to begin to tell me and teachers to begin to insinuate that I'd never amount to much, that I wouldn't accomplish much in my life. But I'll tell you the greatest day in my life was when I agreed with what God said about me and not what man said about me. I want to close with this illustration. It's a beautiful day like we've had this weekend. <clears throat> Dad was driving down the road. He picked his little granddaughter up. I mean, Grandpa had picked his little granddaughter up from school. They had the windows down, enjoying the sun, the cool breeze, and they stopped at a red light. And a bee flew in that vehicle. <clears throat> and this little girl began to just squeal. And not just squeal like a child, but began to cry frantically. And that grandpa, just being the good pappy that he was, that bee flew into the corner, reached his big old bare hand in there, grabbed that bumblebee, put it in his hand, stuck it out the window and let it go. And that little granddaughter looked up at her and tears running down her cheek. She said, Pappy, why didn't you kill that bee? Pappy, if that bee would have stung me, it could have killed me. You know, Pappy, I'm deathly allergic. Grandpa pulled off the side of the road, put the car in park, laid that big hand out. He said, you may not be able to see this, honey. He said, if you look real close, there's a, there's a speck in Pappy's hand. He looked, she said, you see that? He said, baby, that's the sting. That bee is stung buffalo. And it won't ever sting anybody again. I took the sting out of that bee. I want you to know today, my brothers and sisters, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ laid his hands out and took the sting out of death for you. Why in the world would you not accept the greatest gift? With your head bowed this morning. The Lord has spoken to your heart.